Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. We all know that special needs kids require a lot of attention. Depending upon circumstances, parents may be on the go 24 hours a day. School, therapy, medical appointments, more school, more therapy, more medical appointments. The list goes on and it can seem like an endless day of focusing entirely on your child with special needs. And that can lead to more problems if you have more than one child and if your other child or children don't have special needs. Unfortunately, whether unintentional or not, parents can cause problems by not giving enough attention to their neurotypical children. Sometimes siblings of special needs kids can have as much stress as the parents of special needs kids, but they may not be able to express their frustrations as easily as their parents, nor may they be even able to understand them. Our guest for this episode of Special Parents Confidential can speak to those concerns. Andrea Vugdevine of Family Tree Therapies in Grand Rapids, Michigan, has been running sibling support groups for nearly three years. She talks about the challenges and stresses that siblings of special needs children have and how parents can help their neurotypical kids have a better relationship with their special needs siblings. I started off by asking Andrea what were some of the most common things that siblings talk about in her support group meetings. I would say that that the primary things that kids bring up stem from deep sadness slash grief and concern and worry. Um, and when we talk about their sadness and grief, it's it's that it hurts them when their sib is upset, when they when their sib is crying, when their sib is having a tantrum or you know visibly can't control themselves. Some of these kids are are going to the same school as their sib, and they see their their sib being picked on. They see their sib embarrassing him or herself, or causing other people to feel embarrassed or uncomfortable because of the way that they're acting, or you know what, or maybe it's a, a physical uh, disability or something like that that they are well aware that it is causing other people discomfort um, and so there's this this deep sadness for their sib and and then there's grief um, over relationships not being the way they want them to be and you know I hear that in terms of you know I, I wish that my sib could play with me or I wish that I could do this or that with my sib um, or you know some grief over wishing that their relationship with their parents could be a little different that they could spend more time with them that you know that they, that there wasn't the jealousy over yeah my sib needs more care my sib demands more time um, so there's there's sadness and grief <clears throat> over those things and then concern and worry uh, they have deep concern for their sib and we we did an exercise a while back in response to a video that they watched that there wasn't a series of questions uh, that we processed through and they worry about their sib both in the present, being bullied, being alone, struggling physically, emotionally, uh, getting in trouble at school. Um, But there is also worry, and I would say especially more as the kids get older um, and as they're starting to think about their future and starting to think about college for themselves or or what the future might look like. But there's there's also concern about their SIP's future and how their SIP's future will impact and involve them. So those are those are probably the the the, the themes that come up the most um, on on the struggle challenge side, if you would. But um, there's also this this desire for the world to see their sibling through um, 
their eyes. And they say things like, you know, my sib is is really kind. He or she is happy. You know, I, I loved it when one of the sibs said, you know, he has the same feelings as normal people. You know, and then someone else had said, you know, she has a heart, too. Um, and they want the world to know that, that their sib is loving, that their sib is a smart person, that their sib is cool. I remember one kid sharing that, you know, my sib is cool. Um, and, and that, yes, there are some, some differences there, but the reality is is that we, we all have our own uniquenesses, and we talk about that in, in sibling group as well. Um, but this desire that the world see their sib as a, as a human being, um, that definitely comes through. And, yeah, are there, are there the, the, the themes of anger sometimes, jealousy, resentment, embarrassment, loneliness? Absolutely. But I would say so often these kids... <clears throat> Not that they don't share the struggles, not that they don't share the challenges, but because we focus equally as much on on some of the joys, some of the blessings that come from having a sibling with special needs, they 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 naturally do that as well. And I have a couple kids in particular where, um, <clears throat> whether it be because their their home environment is very open, whether it be that they just really understand what's going on with their sibling. I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons why, but these kids, their their natural response to talking about their sib is in a positive light, and I would say that that is true, you know, for a lot of kids that they also see what's good in their sib and and they understand the bigger picture. And so, although sib group offers them an opportunity to talk about what's hard and what's challenging, um, there, it's also a place where where we celebrate celebrate the uniqueness and the things that that are special about about having a sib with a special need as well. Well, I think what you said, too, it's about the environment at home and how the parents approach the whole thing. You know, the kids are going to the kids are going to model what they think about and how their parents are dealing with things as well. And and in light of that, I thought it might be um, helpful to just share a few. I don't know if you want to call them tangible, tangible tips slash opportunities that I think parents can adopt and implement that can create that kind of environment at home and create that and foster foster an, an environment where kids are are feeling like they understand what's going on with their sibs that they that there is open communication and honesty and so I wondered if I could just share some of these some of these sure. tangible opportunities with you sure that'd be um, great that'd be great in fact um Maybe what I'll do, too, is uh, write those down and put them on a, a PDF form that we can have people download if they want. Sure, sure. Yeah, okay. that would be great. All right. Um, and I, I guess I want to say on the front end that uh, that these these tips, if you will, or these, these opportunities are ongoing, and they don't have to be done all at once, because I know that being a parent, period, is hard and challenging, and there's lots going on, and I, I always want to be be cautionary when I share things like this because it's not like you have to do this or else. It's just like here are some things to keep in mind that I think are going to encourage and equip your children as they continue to journey alongside their sib with special needs because the reality is is that they're going to be journeying alongside their sib. They're going to have the longest relationship most likely, mm-hmm. you know, with their sib. Um, and so I think it's just the more that we can equip, the more that we can encourage these kids better and so um we'll call them suggestions then how about that (laughs) yeah suggestions yes absolutely suggestions yes um so the first one would be to provide 
accurate, age-appropriate information for for neurotypical children, if you will. Um, because without it, children will often create their own explanations. Um, or they will wonder, and I've actually heard this, they will wonder, can I catch it? Or, or will it be something that I'm going to develop as I get older? Um, or there is often sometimes this feeling of guilt that they were spared. Um, like, why, why did my sib have to get this? Or why were they born with that? And, and why am I okay? And so, and then not being able to respond to peers or adults who say, what's wrong with your brother or sister? Or why do they do that? Right? Because they hear that, especially from their peers, they're going to hear that. That can cause a lot of anxiety for kids. And so the more that children can articulate about their SIB, the more courage then I believe that they're going to be able to have to advocate for and then be able to highlight what is good and beautiful about their SIB. Because we all know that that children with special needs are, are so much more than that. And when kids can help the world see, you know, like I talked about earlier, what is good, what is beautiful, what what they love about their SIB, that's, that's so important and it's so good for them to be able to do that. And so I think if, you know, and that's, and that's what I've seen in these couple kids where, you know, they are hard-pressed to find something that's really hard or challenging about life with their SIB. And I think part of it is because they, they are very aware and their home environment is very open and so they know what's going on. They're, they're part of, 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 of walking alongside their SIB in ways that are positive. Um, so that would be the first one, the providing accurate age-appropriate information. And then the second one is uh, providing age-appropriate information about the future. And I, I hear I, or I sense this, this wondering, this, this anxiety, this worrying concern about the future more as the kids get older. Um, but they are concerned about their SIDS future. What happens when they're older? Who will care for them when mom and dad aren't around? What role will I need to play? And, you know, you talked about an older, older SIDS earlier, but I have a 35-year-old friend for whom this is a huge concern. And in her case, her parents are choosing for likely a, a variety of reasons, but they're not making plans for her sister with special needs, and it's causing anxiety and frustration and concern. I would say even anger, because she knows that her parents aren't going to be around forever, and she has her own family and children, and she loves her sister, but her sister is not going to be able to live independently, and so she just wishes that there could be more openness and understanding, um, because it's it, it is an ongoing struggle for her, and she doesn't want to always push her parents, you know, or always be, you know, trying to bring it up, and but she would have a lot more peace if she knew that there were some things in place and that, that you know, as adult children, that they could be part of, of whatever plans are being made for their sister when their parents aren't around. So I think that that, you know, you know none of us like to talk about not being around, and yet the reality is is that um, we're not going to be here forever. And so... Um, yeah, how can we do that in again in age appropriate ways and just talking? And it was even interesting in, in my older sibling group a couple months ago. We were doing some exercise, and through that, one of the 
one of the boys was mentioning how they had just had a conversation come up about college, and he was always concerned that my sib, who has autism, is not going to be able to go to college, but they're they're exploring different possibilities for her, and I think that that gave him a lot of a lot of even peace, knowing that okay, there's there's more to come for my sib. It's not just going to end at high school, but there are opportunities down the road for her. So if I go off and I get to explore and I get to be independent, I know that there are, there are some avenues for her as well. And I think that gave him a lot of peace, but it also gave him peace that his parents were open to talking about it and to sharing with him some of the, the opportunities that are out there. And so that was really helpful. And that led to conversation with another sib who's you know, brother has cerebral palsy and there are options for him as well. And I think, again, the more open you can be, the less anxiety there will likely be because everything's out on the table and, and it can be talked about. So uh, the next one is, and I think this is a really important one too, is the providing a safe place to grieve. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, SIBs share deep sadness over the different life that their SIV has and, you know, for some of them will will likely have all their life, a, a very different life from what they're going to be able to live. So sadness that maybe they won't be able to go to college or maybe they won't be able to play sports or won't be able to get a job or won't be able to experience life the way they themselves are dreaming of. And so... Um, I think it's important for them to be able to talk about this uh, with their parents um, and and for them to know that it's... Because I think, well, let me finish that sentence. For them to know that their parents are open to hearing, because I think what I what I also sense with, with kids that come from families where there's a special needs child is is that they don't want to burden their parents. They don't want... They don't want to cause their parents to feel any more sadness. And so... They're not going to, maybe maybe in some families they do initiate, but a lot of times I don't think kids are going to initiate it themselves. And so I think it's important for parents, whether it be to to even share their own struggles, their own sadness, again, all age-appropriate, and you, everybody knows their kids best, but just to be able to say, you know, it's hard, and it's I'm sad too, and I have wishes, and I think it just it validates, it normalizes it it decreases anxiety. Um, yeah, and I think then again, on the flip side of that, then what can happen is that it can also be a time where conversations about all the things that the SIP can do and all the successes that they have had, you know, because celebrating small successes in life period is important, and I think especially when we're talking about having a sibling with special needs, just be able to celebrate all those all those little things, like maybe we had we had a great outing to the restaurant today. We're going to a restaurant is really hard for Timmy, but today he did great, and it was wonderful to just be able to go out as a family. And I think, yeah, you not only are you acknowledging that, yeah, it, it is hard, and it has been hard in the past, but it went really well today, and we're just so thankful. And so, um, yeah, I think I think it's very important for for them to have a place at home where they can talk about about what they're feeling and feel safe about it. And like I said, I think it's so important for parents to initiate these conversations because lots of times children aren't going to initiate it on their own. And I think especially as kids get older and they get into their teenage years, they tend to, you know, clam up and and not share a lot about their feelings, period. Um, And it's not about pressing them. It's not about 
you know, making anybody share. You can't make anybody share, but just saying, hey, if you ever want to talk about it or, you know, this was really hard, how did you feel about it? I think just making sure those lines of communication are open are going to be huge for um, decreasing worry, anxiety, guilt, uh, and just normalizing feelings. Yep, that's very important. You want to let the kids know that uh, they can talk about things because, like you say, they do clam up. I've got a 13-year-old, <laughs> or at least she's 13 as of the point of this recording, and uh, she, you know, she would uh, struggle with this probably. Are there any other suggestions you have? Yeah, I guess. I guess the other thing that I would 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 share is is the importance of helping your your neurotypical children be themselves, acknowledging their individual needs, and um, making sure that there are opportunities for them to to discover, to explore their gifts, all those sorts of things. Because I think that that sometimes maybe kids don't get to do certain activities or go certain places because of the siblings, the you know the the sibling with special needs and maybe their challenges and it just makes it difficult. And so is there a way, if, if there's something that you know is important to your child, is there a way for you to allow them to do that activity or go to that place, whether it be with you and not your sibling or not with, not with a child with special needs or can they go with somebody else so that there, there is that, that, that freedom for them to, to come into themselves and, so often kids who have special needs, I think they, they stay below the radar. They don't want to burden their parents. Sometimes they don't ask for what they really want because they feel like it's just going to be one more thing and one more thing. So we, do you want to back up? No, that's okay. We're going good. I think, yeah, it's like you say, they don't want to burden their parents. They don't want to be an annoyance. They know how stressed out everyone is. And uh, so what the parents need to keep in consideration is the fact that they have more than one child. And even though the one child requires a lot of help, uh, other kids have their own needs as well. And it's just a a balance, trying to find that balance of uh, being able to um, fulfill everybody. (laughs) Well, are there any signs that you can look for to determine if a sibling of a special needs child is having some stress or issues with their relationship with their parents? and their sibling who has special needs? You know, I was, I was thinking about thinking about this, and I think the reality is is that there's going to be stress and challenges within families, period, right? That's just the reality. And I think um, then when you add a child with special needs, it just adds this other layer. And so um, I think encouraging parents in general is, is to pay attention. Um, and obviously... Our desire is to know our children so that we can be aware when things feel a little off. Um, but I think especially when in families where there is a child with special needs who whose needs may be more urgent, you know, because of, of what's going on with them or more, maybe more demanding, is, is to, be, is to be, be paying attention to any, any slight changes you may see. Like I have one girl that it could just be that she's going into adolescence and it could be that... Things are just getting harder at home, but I have sensed that she's becoming more withdrawn. Um, she's quieter. She doesn't. She doesn't talk as much. Um, you know, and for and for some, it's it's the anger. I have another girl who is very very angry right now, um, and so I think that is definitely a sign that there are there are things 
going on that she is struggling some, which I'm sure she's a very verbal girl, so I'm sure she's verbalizing at home as well. But um, so withdrawn, I think anger, maybe at a different level, maybe it's wrapped up, ramped up, maybe it's more often. And I think maybe for some kids, it's it's maybe they're acting out more, um, and that's their way of trying to get your attention. Um, and I think if if the parents are, are in tune, um, and if they can react not react, respond, I think that's a better word, but if they can respond as, you know, as close to the time in which it's happening as possible, I just think it's helpful. And first, you know, if someone is angry, maybe, maybe you, if your, if your child is angry, maybe you can't fully address and have that conversation right at that moment, but maybe it's just a hand on the shoulder and saying, I know what your sibling is doing is really frustrating for you right now, and I'm aware, and I'm on it, you know, and then maybe you can talk about it more later and come up together with some strategies or how we can handle it. Again, it's that open communication. I think it's acknowledging I'm seeing this, I'm sensing this, I'm wondering this, um, and whether or not the kids are going to, what they're going to say in response, you, you never know, but I think if as a parent you're letting kids know that you're sensing something is going on, I think is really important so that they don't feel like, okay, here I am angry and mom's not even, do, you know, not even responding or not even acknowledging that, that there's something going on inside of me. Um, so I just think that that's important for them to know in the moment, okay, mom knows that I'm struggling and mom's acknowledging and maybe we're going to talk about it more later, but at least I, I feel like I'm being seen and, and that my feelings count too. And that's really, I think, a lot of it, too. Um, how does a sibling support group work? Is it kind of like an AA meeting where you're sitting around in a group and everyone tells their personal story, or is it does it work out differently? It does. It works out differently, yes. So we meet for an hour and a half once a month, and there is, there is a peer support component that is sandwiched in the middle, but I feel it's very important to do groundwork before you can have the peer support piece because if kids don't know each other, if they don't feel comfortable and safe with each other, um, the peer support is not going to happen in the most helpful way. And so we we always start by getting to know each other a little bit. I would say almost every month we have somebody new coming or maybe it's someone that hasn't been there for a few months. And so we spend some time getting to know each other. We we spend some time, as as strange as this may sound, but getting to know each other's names because names are so important. And so we learn names. We learn a little bit about each other. We do some team-building stuff so that we get comfortable with each other. We feel like we can trust each other. And then we move in to peer support. And at the younger level, the peer support often starts around a book, and that book is a launching pad. And there are some wonderful books, and I'd be more than willing to send you uh, an email with some of the books that I have used. Sure. Um, and they're a launch pad for conversation. And so we, you know, and, and often we'll have a snack at sibling groups. So I'll snack will be passed out, and then I will read the book while they're eating their snack, and then we'll have conversation about that. Sometimes the book will lead into. Um, an activity that we'll then talk about. So there's this book called All My Stripes, and fabulous book. It's um, focused on a zebra who has autism, but it's it's so much more than that, and I think it's a, it's a fabulous book for kids. But anyway, um, it talked about how this little, this little zebra said that he feels like all everybody sees 
is it's autism stripe and then his mom said, well, I see this stripe and this stripe and this stripe in you. And so we ended up doing an activity together where they did a, um, a zebra for themselves and a zebra for their sibs. So what are, what are the stripes you see that make up your sib? And what are the stripes that make up you? And we just had some wonderful conversation about that. So books are, are what I primarily use with the younger group. And then we often do a Dear Blabby exercise, which has been so wonderful. So Dear Blabby is like Dear Abby. Um, so And Dear Blabby gets questions from children and youth who have siblings with special needs. And she is coming to the group saying, I need your help to respond to these questions. So these are real-life situations that the group then, the sibling group, gets to come up with responses to. And that's a wonderful way for them to learn from each other. Um, There was a time where I think the question was, I just moved and I want to have some of my new friends over to my house, but I'm concerned about my my sib with special needs, how are they going to respond? And the, ultimately the question was, should I tell my friends ahead of time? And what should I tell them? And there was one girl in the group who said, you know, this, this is something my mom and I talked about before I had some new friends over a while back. And we just, we decided ahead of time what we were going to tell my friends. And, and it was just really neat to hear that this was something that had played out in an actual family. And so to be able to have her share that and then to have conversation about that was really was really great. So younger sim group, we do Dear Blabby, we do a book slash activity, and then there's also some other just fun interactive activities that we do that that gets at um, some questions uh, around peer support. And then on the older group, um, we we were starting, we did start last year doing a book um, working through a book called Rules, which I would highly suggest um, for families who have uh, children with special needs. Again, although that this book is focused around a girl who has a sib who has autism, there are just so many themes and so many insights that, that are, I think, work across the board for, for families who have children with special needs. The hard thing about that is if a child is missing, um, you know, it's hard to work through a book when you don't have a consistent a group of kids every time. And so we've done some, some, there's some wonderful YouTube videos that have served as a launch pad for conversation. Again, we'll do some, some activities that get them interacting and then, you know, with the purpose of, of peer support. Um, so those, those are primarily some of the tools that I use for the peer support piece. And then, yeah, and then we'll usually end with something fun. Um, before we leave, but the question that we have ended SIP group with for the last while, we circle up and I say, all right, complete the sentence. I am glad I came to sibling group today because, and I mean, sometimes it's, I had a lot of fun. I got to see my friends, but most of the time it's like, I know that because I know that I'm not alone because I know that there are people here who understand what it's like to have with with special needs um, because it's my special place to go and and just be myself, and I think for some of for some of these children who have sibs with significant needs, I mean they're going along to therapies and doctor's appointments, and so much of life does, understandably so, center around their sib with special needs. But this gets to be something that's just their own, that's fun, but also offers that piece where they get to connect with kids who 
understand what it's like to have a sibling with special need, and it's a safe place for them to talk about both, you know, what's good, what's what's positive, the blessings, some of the funny things that come from having a sibling with special needs, but but also to be honest about about what's hard. So that's in essence what what we do at our monthly meetings. That's great. Now you know your sibling support groups. Uh, you have them starting as young as age six. Now, some people might think that six would be too young to be concerned with these problems, but that's really not the case, is it? It's not. Um, and sure, the older kids are, the uh, often the, the more able they are to articulate what they're thinking and feeling. But And I think this, this is a, a perfect example of why six is not too young. As I had a mom call me a few weeks ago who was interested in her son coming to our sibling group and she was sharing with me, and he's six, um, and she was sharing with me how towards the end of the school year, his friends were saying, your sibling is freaky. And then they were saying, your whole family is freaky. And here's this six-year-old boy who I'm sure is just trying to navigate school and life and friendships, which is hard enough in and of itself. And then you have a sibling who other people are picking up on, has some some differences, some challenges. In this case, the boy has autism, and I'm not sure how significant the autism is because I have not um, met him yet. But so here's a six-year-old boy that's, that's already experiencing, okay, people are, people are looking at my brother and saying he's freaky, he's different, and they're attri- now they're saying that they're attributing that, that stereotype of freakiness to my family. And so yeah, and even though we have as young as six-year-olds coming in, they are so able to share both what's good and, and what is hard. And this is a place where they keep wanting to come back. And it's, and it's you know, I tell people on the front end, like, this is not meant to be therapy. Um, there are definitely situations in which, um, you know, professional counseling is going to be helpful for kids who have um, siblings with special needs. Does, do our sibling groups have therapeutic benefits sometimes? Absolutely. I mean, to, to know that that you are not alone, to have your feelings validated and normalized is therapeutic, period. Um, we all need that. Um, but it is, it's, it's a place where they enjoy coming. It's a place where they can have fun and be themselves and, and be honest and be around other people who get it. And I think that that is, is so important. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the, uh, what is said and what the kids are going through, are the parents told what their kids are saying in the support group meetings? Or if not, how do the kids learn to cope with their situations and also the parent factor? Yeah, I would say no. Um, I, we usually say that what's shared in group um, you know, stays in group. It's not, it's not something that is shared, although this is not like formal counseling. The kids need to know that they that they can be open and honest and not feel like it's going to to get back to their parents. Um, however, if and this has not happened yet, but if if there were something that were to come up or if if there were some things going on that I was really concerned about for a kid, I would definitely say to the parent, you know, maybe just in general terms, you know, so and so, I just feel like they're getting more and more withdrawn, or I'm just. I'm just experiencing a lot of anger and, and just talk with them about it and maybe suggest um, professional counseling. For example, there was a, a young woman um, 
who I have met through Calvin College. She has a sibling, an older sibling with special needs, and I got to know her in this past year, and she ended up writing a blog, and in that blog, she said, she talked about, gave a little bit of, of history, um, what it was like growing up with her brother and um, his his disability. Um, and she talked about what was helpful when she was growing up and what would have been helpful. And one of the things she did say was, was counseling. She wished that that had been offered. And in her case, she didn't even talk to her friends or was not even very open about having um, a sibling with special needs until her first year of college. And part of that was because she was so torn between how do I help my friends understand my brother and the complexities of him and not be afraid of him? Because in this sense, he could get aggressive and he was just a big guy and there were times where he was just out of, out of control. So how do I... How do they? How do I help them understand what he's dealing with? But but see beyond that, um, what I see, um, and the beauty that I see in my brother, and all the things that I love about him. And so, I think she, for her, she would have said, "I I wish I had had a sibling group. I wish they had been available to me that I had had this place to talk about it." Because it wasn't until she met um, a youth pastor at her church who also had a sibling with special needs that she was able to open up and talk about it and found then a way to feel like she could share about the complexities of her brother without feeling like she was betraying him. Um, and I think as you get older, I think, you know, as, as a child, there's there's maybe anger, resentment, jealousy, all those things that are that you know, kids feel in general when they don't get as much of their parents' time or, or when things aren't fair. But I think as as, as, as we mature and as we get older, then it's, I just feel like it was so eye-opening for me for, to hear Aubrey share, you know, I I didn't want to betray my brother, and so I just didn't talk about it because I didn't know how to do it. And I think for her, they um, her family ended up having to make the decision to have her brother go to uh, a group home because it was not safe for him to be at home. And so then there was this whole other layer of, of feeling like she, she didn't know how to approach her parents because her parents were so sad and were grieving themselves, feeling like, you know, they, they let their brother down or their son down um, and knowing that it was so hard to only have him come home for short visits and stuff. And so there were so many dynamics. And, yeah, she she said, you know, I, a support group would have been helpful, professional counseling, you know, and just even more openness that, that home could have been um, – a safe place for me to share both the highs, as she described it, and the lows, um, and for us to be able to walk through it together more instead of feeling like I had to, I had to kind of navigate this on my own. Um, so I just think, you know, in, in light of your question, um, yes, we don't, we don't, I don't share with parents specifically what kids say. But if I'm sensing something that I think might need to be addressed um, more fully, I would definitely let a parent, a parent know that because I think that that's important. The second part of your question is, um, how do then if not, how do kids learn to cope with their situations and their parents? And I think, well, first and foremost, I would say they learn from each other, and that's what the whole peer support part of this is all about. And I, I think that even, like I said, the activity, the Dear Blabby activity, I think to be able to to see themselves as the experts 
that they get to give Dear Blabby some advice on how to respond to this question that has come through has just been really um, a beautiful thing. And I think there's such a sacredness that happens in those moments because these kids are, are realizing, I I can speak to this. I, I've experienced this. And then, you know, other conversation ends up happening um, you know, based on that, again, like any of these activities just serve as a launch pad for, for conversation and connection and support. Um, yeah, and I think that the other thing I would say is that, you know, I I am constantly encouraging kids to share with their parents and, you know, saying reminding them that their parents care about them and their parents want what's best for them. And they know that. Deep down in their souls, they know that. Um, but I'm also encouraging them to be open and honest um, with their parents as much as possible. And again, but then I would say to the parents that are listening, please do that for your kids. Please, as much as you can, you know, in as you can initiate conversation and be open and honest and let your kids know that this is a journey that you guys are, are taking together and that you're loving, you know, the SIB with special needs together, caring together, not in a way that puts undue pressure on the kids, but just say this is this is a team effort. Well, I think it's I think it's important that parents, you know, we have to take a step back and realize, okay, yeah, it's it's very hard for us as parents, but we through adulthood and experience are possibly better able to handle some of this stuff than our kids are. And it's it's an entirely different process for kids, especially younger ones, on how to uh, approach this and how to handle it. Because it is very emotional. It is. Yeah. Is there anything else? I mean, I was just saying what you said here was uh, great because my next question was going to be if there was one thing you could say to parents of a special needs child about their kids and how to deal with these issues, what would you say to them? And I think you kind of addressed that. But is, is there anything else that you would add on to that that uh, parents should really try to keep in mind when they're dealing with their siblings? Sure. Yeah, no, I think the only thing that I would add in addition to open conversation and and again, within that, I, um, I think it's just so important to have that balance. Like, those conversations don't always have to be about what's hard and the struggles, but it also needs to be about celebration. And I love it when kids and sibling groups celebrate the small successes. Like, my brother got his, one of his braces off his legs, and it was so fun to see him walking around without it. Or um, my sib took his first bite of food on his own or, you know, whatever it may be, or they passed a test at school that we didn't think that they were going to pass. Like that is so important to celebrate and to make it a family um, celebration because, like I said, these kids desire what's best for their kids. And, you know, sometimes in some group, you know, one of the questions will be, what's a wish you have for your sib? And they want the best. And so, initiating conversation and being open and being proactive about some of the things that children might be concerned about or burdening themselves with that 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 burden could be lifted if it was talked about and if they knew that their parents are thinking ahead and and you know and their parents are <clears throat> being open with them is so helpful but to make sure that you know the, the celebration comes in and the focusing on what's good right it's like life in general it's, life looks a lot better when we can so focus on, on the good and the beauty and the blessing. Um, that perspective is so helpful. The support groups, I think if, if you can find a support group near you, it's, it's, uh, it's it can be such a gift. Um, and I know that on the sibling support 
org website, there is a place to find out about sibling groups around the country. So that would be a great place to look. And the Sibling Support Project is also a great place for resources, and I, I believe they even have maybe some places where older kids can connect online um, with other SIBs around the country, possibly even around the world. Um, so I think that that is great because there's lots of online resources. And the other thing would be is, there, like I said, there are some great books out there, and I have even read a couple of books that some of my older SIBs have shared with me that have just helped me as I as I'm trying to understand what it's, I don't have a SIB with special needs, so trying to understand their world. There, there's, there's some fabulous resources out there that parents can use, um, to, like we do, as, as launch pads for conversation and openness and just being being a listening ear to, to what our kids are feeling and experiencing. <clears throat> That's great. That's great. And we'll put up links to those sites on the page with this interview on our on our website, so that way people can uh, find those things. And uh, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's just uh, trying to keep conversations going and just let the kids know that uh, you're concerned about them and you want them to feel like they can talk to you as a parent. I think that's probably uh, the most important thing that uh, parents can do. And especially if they know that when they do that, that they're not burdening you, because I think that's they are protective of parents. And like I, I said earlier, I think a lot of my my experience, um, even though kids would not overtly say this, a lot of the kids in my group are trying to stay below the radar, trying not to make life any harder for their parents, um, not adding any more stress or, or or not even to make their parents feel like feel worse. Like if if I tell mom that. I wish that she would spend more time with me, that I'm going to make mom feel that much more sad or feel, you know, feel that much more burdened. They don't want to do that. And so um, even even as we recognize that every child in every family needs special one-on-one time with parents, what are there, are there ways that you can do that with your neurotypical kids? And again, it doesn't have to be big things. I, so many times I think in life we put pressure on ourselves as parents that we have to do, we have to make so many special things big, but... Maybe it's just a few minutes before bed where we're connecting and we're processing the day, or maybe it's yeah, it's just going out for coffee every now and then, or, or something small. But just to let you know, to let kids know that I, I value spending time just with you. I value knowing what you're thinking and feeling, and this, this is so good for me too as a parent when we get to spend time together. That's that's a gift. It's a gift for any child. Well, I really appreciate it, Andrea. I think uh, everything that you had here is uh, fantastic, and it's uh, just the kind of stuff we were looking for. Oh, good. I'm glad. Well, I, I, as I mentioned when we chatted earlier, I, I, this, it has been such a privilege for me to enter into um, this work of facilitating peer support groups, and I realize that I am being invited into a pretty sacred space with them. And it's not that it's it's always heavy. It's not that it's um, you know, that it's, that it's always about the peer support, but we, we have fun together, we build relationships together, and then as a result of that, we, we get to, I get to be privy to some, some pretty special moments where, where kids are connecting, where kids are sharing, where kids are being open, and I think that it is, it is, it is, it's been a, a gift for me, and it, but it's also been a gift for kids, and I think for, again, for them to, to know that they're, not alone. I mean, that's again, that's that's a 
general thing for, for people. As human beings, we want to know that we're connected, that we, that we belong, that, that we're heard, that we're understood, that our, that our feelings matter. And I think there's, there's something, especially as kids get older, for that to happen within the peer context. Um, I think there's one other thing that I think can be also tricky for, for kids that have siblings with special needs is the whole friendship um, realm, and I think especially as kids get older, and I, and I have sensed this with some of my kids, that um, I think either either friendships and forming friendships can be a little trickier because they're not quite sure how to navigate the whole, I have a sibling with special needs, he goes here, she goes to my school, um, yeah, I feel different, I feel like I stick out, or they, they tend to form friendships, and that, that this is not bad, but they tend to form friendships if they can find other kids that have sibling with special needs that where they tend to navigate um, towards. And so, yeah, I think if nothing else, this is a place for some for some friendships to develop and whether or not these kids decide to connect outside a sibling group or not is, is totally up to them, but they know that there are other people out there that get it. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a gift for me to experience and to be a part of, but I know it's a gift to them, and I know that, that the parents that I hear from are just really appreciative of of this time and space that they can uh, provide for their kids as well. My thanks again to Andrea Vugtavine of Family Tree Therapies for talking to us about sibling support. All the websites she mentioned are linked to the page for this episode on our website, Special Parents Confidential. The list of those links is also available in a PDF format with the book title she talked about, as well as the amazing Letter to a Child of a Sibling with Special Needs. As we always do at this point, a reminder that if you like this episode of Special Parents Confidential or any episode we've done, please share our site with your friends, family, and all your connections on social media. You can do this easily with the social media buttons on our website. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, add us on Google+, Tumblr, LinkedIn, Pinterest, StumbleUpon, Reddit, or any of the other social media sites that you use. You can also sign up for our email service and have new posts and podcast episodes delivered right to your inbox the moment they're available online. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Pod Directory as a free subscription. And if you have a moment, please feel free to write a review about our podcast. Anything you can do to help spread the word about Special Parents Confidential will help us to be able to continue these podcasts. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.